2: This podcast contains language that is not appropriate for children, including Fuck Trumpet, Douche Nozzle, and President Donald Trump.
0: I just had no chill throughout. Anyway, tonight's episode of the Science Enthusiast podcast is brought to you by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. So you remember all those times when you wanted to commit genocide against children, infants, and the immunocompromised? You know what I'm talking about, right, Natalie?
2: I, I, I totally, all, all those times.
0: Well, thankfully for us, Andy finally got around to releasing his own version of the MMR vaccine that he patented way back in the 90s. Introducing MMR Murder.
2: It just rolls off the tongue.
0: <laughs> MMR Murder. Specially formulated for parents who shove bleach on their kids' asses to try to cure autism.
2: I guess that's the same demographic, isn't it? Like, I mean, yeah, it was, he knows probably, his market. Yeah, he does. It's probably it's probably the maple syrup crowd too that like cures it with maple syrup. Yeah, it's, all, it's all the same. And, it's all the same. And,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. And it, those people. I didn't write that. Our, our our sponsor wrote that. That's not yeah, yeah. what I wrote. Yeah. So no. uh, yeah. I am not getting sued. Hello and thank you for listening to the Science Enthusiast podcast. My name is Dan and as always I am joined by my pretty okay friend Natalie.
2: Hey. Glad glad to be here. I just um pretty much got in my back in my house like 10 minutes ago having been on an airplane with my children. So I'm really Which... really happy to be here tonight really happy
0: sounds like yeah, that sounds like the absolute fucking worst.
2: You, you know what? It it was it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. I like you know when you have those moments where you're just like I am that parent right now who like I, I wanted to crawl under the airplane seat at moments because my kids I were being little you, dick bags. And yeah, yeah, and
0: when you when you're when you told me that's what you were doing tonight, I I, I think I May have made a homicidal ideation. So hopefully the NSA is not watching that. But yeah, yeah but, but I, 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 I have to. Yeah. F- yeah.
2: Yeah. You felt my pain. I, you felt it. I
0: did. Yeah. And I'm going to have to fly out to, from Indiana to Washington State this fall for my brother's wedding. Oh. And I, oh. I guess my kids are going. And, but it's like, it's one of those like midweek weddings too yeah. so i think i don't even know i haven't gotten the invitation yet all i know is i have to i have to fly to the west coast you know coast what though like the,
2: the thing though you're i think you're in a sweeter spot than i am with kids like i you yeah. you could like both of yours could have devices right and like maybe put some headphones on and stuff like my i mean okay you know what the older one milo i i give him i give him like a gold star he was all right The little one, though Jesus fucking Christ, was like not having any of it. So, but your kids, I, you know, I have faith that your children will be better than mine were. So, thoughts and prayers.
0: It's good to yeah, yeah, good to know I have your thoughts and prayers. And
2: on that note, this is yes, that's a segue.
0: This is what we call a segue. Why don't you tell us about our God of the Week?
2: Okay. All right. So, I feel like first I need to offer some sort of apology that it's it's going to be all downhill after last week's like little bit of ghost fucking and emojis, cuz I mean, where do you go after that? So, so sorry. It's it's all it's never it's never going to be that good again, probably. <laughs> though <we've> though <laughs> I think I think I reached peak, but you know what the thing is? I said to somebody earlier today that I thought that I I thought I reached the peak. when I I talked about golden dicks, and that was ages ago, and then we came to ghost fucking. So maybe, maybe, maybe there's something else down the line that we don't even know yet. But anyways, this week we're going to go with Athena, the Greek goddess of wisdom, war, and artistry. So Athena, um, Zeus, you know, major god, was her dad. And Zeus's, like, I guess his first wife, Metis, was her mom. So... Athena's mom got pregnant. Zeus didn't want this birth to happen because he had this fear of having just, I guess, a brash and headstrong daughter. So here's what he did. I mean,
0: he's old school, so he, you know, he, he is, doesn't do the abortion thing.
2: He did, no, no. So, but here's what he did instead. And it, and it, would, have
0: been his de- and it would have been his decision too. Sorry, totally, right, totally. On. It would have been his decision too because he's, he's know, the dude out.
2: and he was like in charge of yeah, everything. His, his and so, so here's what he did. He's like, I don't want her to be born. So I'm going to literally like swallow her mother whole. So like Zeus ate his wife. It's like reasonable? It's reasonable. So so he eat, so he eats the lady who's pregnant and I I don't know. Fine. Let's just let's leave that there and just imagine that that's a thing that can happen. Um, but Athena though she's like brazen and awesome from the get-go and she's like I'm in here and I need to get out by any means necessary Um, so then I guess she's hatching a plan as she's just inside Zeus somehow Um, so then the shit's happening and um, the other former god of the week, faced us. he's kind of like the crusty old ugly one, I think, he heard a ruckus coming from near Zeus and realized it's like (laughs) it's coming from inside Zeus. So he decides he's going to like knock Zeus over the head with something. I'm just imagining like a wrench or a crowbar. I don't know, something like Home Alone robber style that he just like knocks him over the head with. And then out pops Athena, like, but not a baby. She wasn't a baby. She was fully grown. She was armed with weapons. So here's this just just nasty woman ready to get shit done. Popped out of Zeus's head. I mean, I guess he probably required some kind of surgery after that to, um, I don't know, like put his head back together. This is the story. I mean, so then I guess she she goes on to be awesome um, goddess of wisdom. She's usually right about stuff. Her best friend was Nike, the goddess of victory. So, like, that, that's, a, that's a pretty good crew of two right there. Wisdom, victory, like, awesome ladies. So, so that, that's, a, that's a pretty good, like, lady god squad right there. Um, I, I don't know that I have anything else to say. Her, she was just born a fully grown woman with weapons. So, I'm I see, I'm cool. I see, with her.
0: I see the phrase "squad goals" written in the yeah. notes, and I I still don't understand what that means. I, I that think I means. think
2: I think that just means like that's like your crew that you want to be friends with, right? Is it like, like
0: squad goals? Like I don't.
2: I I think I, th- mean old? I mean I'm? I mean, we I mean, I'm. I wrote that, and I. I think but I think I just gave the right definition. And so maybe someone can correct <laughs> me. But like I cuz I have no idea. I'm like yeah. I'm I'm not cool enough for that. <laughs> we we know this already, but but I I wrote it because I do. I think that that's what it means. It's like that's a it's a cool cool group. The cool kids. The cool goddesses of Greek mythology. <laughs> but but she was also but she was smart. So that's why I like her wisdom lady knows what she's talking about this evening we are thrilled to be joined by Cara Santamaria Kara is a journalist science communicator television presenter and producer and podcaster hosting talk nerdy and skeptics guide to the universe and somehow she has found time to talk to us tonight so welcome Kara, to the science enthusiast podcast
1: Thank you so much for having me.
2: So we're going to just, we have a lot of stuff that we want to talk about with you that um, some friends and listeners have given us ideas of things to talk about with you. Um, But I would like to start with sort of your origin story of how you've come into this, you know, world of atheism, science, skepticism, critical thinking in general. Um, I know that you, you grew up in a Mormon household is that right? I,
1: I did. Yeah, both my parents when I was born and when I was young while they were still married, both my parents were Mormon. They converted together before I was born. So it's not like I have a big Mormon extended family, but my nuclear family was completely Mormon when I was growing up. After my parents got divorced, my mom stopped um going to church and kind of went her own way. So now it's kind of like it's still my nuclear family, but it's my dad and his wife and all of their children are still in the church. Um, so but, th- but so not they're me. still
2: in the church. Yeah. And you so what was it like growing up in a like religious household?
1: Yeah, you know it's funny because it, like the LDS Church is a really interesting institution because it's pretty oppressive. In on the one hand, right, because uh, there's just a lot of, like, things you're not allowed to do when you're Mormon. Like, you can't watch R-rated movies and you can't drink caffeine and, you know, smoking and drink. Not that any kids can smoke and drink, but, like, those things are really bad in in the church. And uh, But on the other hand, it's, like, it's a very pro-family religion, and so you really grow up with a strong sense of community and a really strong sense of family. But my situation was a little bit different because I didn't, like – you know, go through my whole childhood and then leave when I was an adult. Um, I would say that my parents divorced like when I was six or seven, maybe. My father remarried when I was eight or nine. And my mom just kind of stopped attending, but she sort of let my father – continue in their joint custody situation. She let him kind of continue being the spiritual, you know, um leader in the family. Like it was very important to him that we all go to church, so we still went to church with him every Sunday and youth group every Wednesday and family home evening every Monday, even though I um he only had joint custody, so I only actually stayed with him every other weekend. My mom kind of let him have that. And so you know, I, I sort of grew up in it, but, but a little separate from it because I still had the refuge of my mother's home um, the majority of the time. And then when I was maybe 13, 14, that's when I started questioning things quite a bit. I tried to talk to him about it. He wasn't really having it Um And I remember, I've quoted this many times when asked about it in interview, I remember specifically him saying that he has a moral obligation to God to force me to go to church until I'm 18, as long as I lived under his roof. And at 14, I was a very precocious kid. And I was like, well, I'm sure if we went to court and we had this kind of conversation with the judge, they would see that I'm of age to make these kinds of decisions. And he was like, we don't have to do that, but it's your choice. And so ultimately, I felt a little like I was left with – with a choice with no good outcomes, right? Either I continue going to church and sort of living this lie and pretending to believe, but I maintain a a strong or maybe not so strong relationship with my father, or I come out and I stop attending and I I start making the decisions that I think are right for me as an atheist. And because it wasn't just, oh, I don't believe in your religion. It was like, I don't believe in God. And I don't know if I ever did, um, And But I knew that that would really put a wedge in the family. Ultimately, I think um, the the need to get away from the church and its sort of intense hold that it has on you was strong. It was so strong that I decided that that's what I needed to do was get away. And I didn't talk to my dad for many, many years. So it was a big... um, it was difficult to leave the church because it really, in many ways, broke up my family, at least from my perspective. I think that's an, a similar experience for a lot of people. In, in the grand scheme of it, you know, I'm 33 years old now. We, it's been many, many years. Um, my father and I have a much better relationship now than we did back then. But I, I still wouldn't say that we were super, super close anytime after that um, because, I don't know, it's it's a tough thing when you are a child of somebody who is a really, really strong believer and you don't believe because you never see eye to eye on certain things. And it gets tiring talking about it all the time or arguing about it all the time. That's for sure.
2: Well, so you, you were pretty young then when you like came to this conclusion about... I
1: was. Yeah, 14, I guess, is young. But when I think back and I think about what that really means, like... I was young. I was in high school, though, because I started college when I was 16. So I was just sort of precocious and, like, anti-establishment and trying to do things too young, like, always. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I was young, but I think I thought I was an adult, even though I absolutely was not. <laughs> I had that, um, that headspace at the time.
2: But, you know, I think that, like, I mean, it's, I think it's awesome to hear about somebody who had these realizations when they were a younger person, because it kind of leads to a more fulfilling, like, longer bit of life, you know, to oh, not sort of true. live under these, like, you know, fairy tale illusions. So yeah, you came, you I never had that. that. Place, yeah.
1: Absolutely. I never had that epiphany moment where I was like, I see the light. I can't believe I lived a lie my whole life. I really don't think I ever believed in God. And I think I was just really trying to the whole time I was growing up in the church. And when finally I was like, I can't do this anymore. Like, it's not, you know, it's it's depressing. <laughs> like, I'm really bad at lying. I was able to, to move away from it, which means that I was able to establish an identity as an atheist quite young. I I, I waffled a little in the in the years after I left the church. I tried to be religious once more because I had a really religious uh, best friend. And so I was like, oh, maybe I'll go to church with her. And maybe I'll maybe it's just because I didn't, you know, go to the right church. But then it was like, (laughs) oh, it's all the same. And so I was, yeah, I was ultimately really able to start reading atheist text and getting really into philosophy when I was, like I said, a freshman in college at like 16. So I've had a long life so far of being on this side of that sort of veil, which has been really nice.
2: Well, and I think to be able to then from a younger age fully embrace things like science and reason, critical thinking, um... The fact that you know we as women shouldn't be put in a certain place because of faith. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I I think that it's probably really valuable to have had that from a younger point. I mean, I I was listening uh, today. I was catching up with some of your podcast. I was listening to your interview with Karen Garst. Um, oh yeah, and I, I mean, it was a great interview. But um, she, I remember her saying in there like religion. It in her viewpoint is one of the last barriers to like gender equality. Yeah. And, and I like I took that as interesting, you know, just from a like feminist perspective. And I mean, do you feel like still just like in the Mormon church religion in general, that's true and kind of constraining people, women,
1: Absolutely. I mean, I do think that there are some really progressive churches out there. Living in Los Angeles, I think I probably see it more – it's more common out here on the West Coast and probably on the East Coast as well than in sort of the Bible Belt or or the middle of America. We definitely have a lot of like pro-LGBTQ churches. We definitely have a lot of churches out here where women can – have, you know, they can be priests. And, and so I don't think all religion does that. I think there are plenty of people who are religious who are also very progressive in their mindset. But sure, of course, historically, religion has done that. And there are a lot of religions to this day that try to hold on like with a death grip to that sort of historical patriarchy. And I think the LDS church is absolutely one of them. I remember when um, my sister was previously, I have lots of sisters, so I'm going to not <coughs> say which one or you. Mm-hmm. any names but like when one of my sisters was previously married um she got married she couldn't get married in the temple because during their temple recommend like they were quite honest with some of their um pre I guess relations and so they didn't qualify to have a temple marriage which means that most of us were able to go because if you have a temple marriage only people who have been sealed in the temple can attend so most oh. of your family can't go Wow. Yeah, so that's why you always see them waiting like, outside <laughs> oh if people get married at the temple. Yeah. Like, you are um, not I'm allowed another into this. Wow. <laughs> yeah, i had a sister got married side. in the temple and I just was there to take pictures. Yeah, exactly. You can't. Absolutely. Um, and so I was actually able to see uh, this sister's wedding and I remember the bishop saying, like, do you, um, woman – Take, or actually, it went this way. It was like, Do you, man, using their names, of course, do you, man, uh, agree to serve God in every decision you make, blah, 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 until, you know, for a time and eternity? And he was like, I do. And then it was like, Do you, woman, agree to serve man? In all of the decisions you make, blah, 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 blah uh, for time and all eternity. And I was like, well, that's fucked up. <laughs> and I remember being really sad. Like, I, I talked to my dad about it. And I was like, that's like not okay. Like, I'm really – and he had some bullshit response for like, oh, but, you know, we, because we have the priesthood, are really close to God. And then, of course, but through transitive properties, <laughs> women have just, just as much, you know, relation with God. And I was like – That doesn't make sense. That's not how it works. <laughs> no. None of it, you know, none of it makes sense. Like when you die, you get a planet. Like I remember, I remember like realizing that because my father and my mother had divorced and then my father remarried a woman who I didn't know that they would go to the celestial kingdom, which is the highest level of um, heaven. Yet my mother would be in the telestial kingdom because she was no longer sealed and because she was no longer religious. And so like, that after I died, I could – if I stayed super Mormon and did everything right throughout my life, I could, like, hang with my f- my dad and his – this, like, random woman in, like, the closest level of heaven to God and, like, bask in his glory and all that good shit. And I could – I'd have to, like, go visit my mom, but she couldn't come visit me. Like, everything about it was super – like, I was like, like, that's like- not okay. yeah.
2: Do you get a spaceship to travel between the planets? Oh, no, but, I mean, like, women don't
1: have their own planet. Come on, man. That's just for men. <laughs>
0: well, like, and I wow. was going to, like, is that the difference of, like, having, like, leather versus having, like, pleather? Like, the differences of, of having mm-hmm. there or, like, I I don't understand.
1: Well, not, not to somebody who actually believes in it. I mean, that's the funny thing. Like, we can be kind of flippant about it, but people who actually believe in it, the three right. different levels of – Uh, heaven are it's like heaven on earth heaven I don't remember like in in the sky and then heaven like in the most you know and so one of them is like you bask in the glory of God all the time and then the other one is kind of like you're on earth after the rapture and so you like you're not in hell but like you don't get the glory of God and like that's a big deal to people who actually believe in God you know so
0: is that and I this I'm just sharing my ignorance of the Mormon religion as a whole is so do they go just go to purgatory then in between now and you know when the rapture comes no, that's you know, different. Or... that's
1: um, that's different so the ter- the um we don't really well we um in the Mormon <laughs> church there's not really a a purgatory per se. there's something called like outer darkness, but that's like their version of hell, and they don't like they don't believe in hell. Um, but, like, their version of hell, what they call outer darkness, is, like, a hot mess. Like, nobody who goes to heaven is dealing with that. Like, the telestial kingdom, the celestial kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, these, like, degrees of glory that are mentioned in the scriptures, these are all still heaven. It's just, like, they're like there's, like, varying levels. So the celestial is, like, the highest level of heaven and you're, like, made sort of um, – you're dwelling forever in the presence of God and you have like celestial glory, and like everything's awesome for you. Whereas, so, like, the lowest one, which I think is the terrestrial kingdom, let me see if I can look up like how they describe it. I mean,
0: it sounds like it's that you, you get you Grey Goose in the highest heaven, the and then you get Skull, <laughs> skull in or, or whatever, like <laughs> shit vodka. It, real they they, they
1: don't drink, drink. none of that it, applies right. to them. They don't drink. Well, no, uh, that is, <laughs>
2: there's not even cap. Right. Um,
1: so terrestrial is, okay, so terrestrial corresponds to the body's terrestrial and the glory of the moon. The telestial is like the crappiest one. Let me see what that corresponds to. Um, the telestial kingdom, yeah, because these don't really translate to actual science words. Um, includes those who receive not the gospel of Christ nor the testimony of Jesus. Um, oh yeah, so you're right. Telestial is a little more like shit. It's a little more like purgatory because that's like liars, sorcerers, adulterers, um, whoremongers is a the word they use. Um, but <laughs> did it's just—did you just, say,
2: did you say
1: whore, whoremongers, whoremonger. like whore? Yes, yeah, like those who monger the whores. Um, okay, but. But then like outer darkness is basically where I'm gonna end up. Because the worst thing you can do, right, in Mormonism, but also in like m- many religions, is like accept Jesus under your heart and then deny. So like I've been baptized and then I was like, I don't believe. So I'm actually going to like the worst place, well, according to all of that. Yeah, Jesus and that's doesn't really like a cheese. Yeah, like it's like way worse than having never really been Mormon <laughs> to begin with. But but that's that's the thing that we forget. Like again, it's funny and we laugh right. about it, but when you think about your family who like actually believes in this shit and they really really love you you're sitting here sort of feeling like you're on the outside of this bubble like you are enlightened and you're like of course there's no god this is all ridiculous and i feel really bad for my folks because they're dedicating their lives to it and there's so much they're missing out on and they're so blindly following and they're like duped right but then they're turned around and they're going like my poor daughter like she's going to hell like and right so then there's so nothing that's an I can emotional emotional do to save her Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So there's this just this divide that it's really hard to to cross with your folks when you are both kind of in a totally different mindset with regards to, you know, what is sacred with regards to the afterlife, all that all that stuff.
2: Well, right. And it's like your your whole world view is different than theirs. Yeah. And and you're you're kind of thinking critically and examining you know all that the world has to offer and they are following this faith whereas yes. you know you're living based on you know kind of evidence and and what's and not, what's real not what somebody read
0: on tablets out of a hat
1: Yeah exactly like what yeah. like a made up religion which <laughs> all of them are <laughs> you know. Well, yes, exactly. Also exactly. like let's not yeah, let's not like put on airs and act like Mormons are so crazy compared to everyone else. Like because it's they
2: they crazy. all are. They yeah. all are and and not one of them is correct. Like all yeah, of these Yeah, but that's thousands what they love of- to tout. Yep
1: right? Mm-hmm. Like that's like, yeah. that's the big Mormon thing. But I bet you it's in other faiths too, where it's like, no, but we're the one true religion. It's like, oh, of course, you. of course,
2: everyone wants to be right. Yeah. Because when you think about it, it's like, of course they do. They they hold so tightly to these beliefs that um are guiding their lives. And so they have to have that blind faith that they're it, correct. And, uh, and at um, this point,
0: and, and at this point, it's it, once you once they give up, anything they're not going to get that back once they once they give up you know get more equal (laughs) equality for women you know they're once you get a taste you're not going to get that back back up so they they know that it's it's constantly eroding and eventually it's going to get to the point that hopefully it's going to get to the point that it goes away
1: that what goes away religion Oh, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. Well, <laughs> I said hopefully. <laughs> like, mm, I don't know. <laughs> I, and, and definitely not there, in our lifetime. There lifestyle. will always be. I also don't think it's going to – I don't I don't even know if I hope that it goes away. Like, I hope bl- blind faith goes away. I hope fundamentalism goes away. But, like, I don't know. I feel like I don't want to – I don't think it's, it's going to be – it would be a better world if it were an atheist world. I think there are plenty of people for whom belief offers only good things and none of the shit. Um, The problem is all of the people, the regressive and conservative individuals who um, find themselves caught up in, I guess, a web that is so much more than religion. It's social control. It's patriarchy. It's misogyny. All of those things that they're just using um, religion as an excuse for that. I don't think that's necessarily inherent in religion. I think that's just inherent in people.
2: When it creeps into all the other avenues of life. Exactly. Like, it it should not be, it should not be in politics. It should not be like this. Right. I mean, I I think you are right that it's an excuse. And yeah, it's an excuse. If people, if people want to believe and practice these things, as long, you know, like if it's not involving us and the decisions that we're free or not free to make Mm -hmm. for ourselves, like then that's where it's a problem.
1: Yeah. I mean, I have a really good friend who's Hindu and she's like Hindu. Like she believes in a bunch of gods. It's weird to me. She has like a little um, uh, like altar in her closet and she has like prayer rituals and everything. But her religion is not like the religions that we're used to here in the West. Like it's not – it, it, there's there's no attempt at converting other people. There's no bullshit about it being a one true religion. She doesn't – like the afterlife doesn't really exist because they believe in reincarnation. Um, and there's, there's nothing inherent like it's a philosophy that they live by. But I think when people try to minimize it, go, yeah, but that's like a philosophy. It's not a real religion. It's like, no, it's a religion. Like she believes that there are gods. Like she's a polytheistic – person you know what I mean so I don't want to discount the fact that she's religious but is good at it (laughs) you know that doesn't I I don't want to like pretend that oh but that's an exception to the rule no there are like religions out there that are healthy and positive and you know just because I don't believe in what they believe in because I'm really science-based I don't think that people can't be um religious and still scientific thinkers or that people can't have you know some sort of spirituality in their lives and and still be critical thinkers and make good moral decisions like i, f- I feel like there's a way to do both well, it, do- it doesn't make any sense to me i can't personally do both but yeah. plenty of people do yeah
0: the i mean that's because the scientific method is independent of any other ter- type of belief system like that it it, it works regardless of wh- uh, what you want to happen or, or what you want to to believe
1: well and not just that like the scientific method right is an interrogation and um i guess interrogation is really a good way a good word for it cuz it's not just about observation it's also about manipulation to see what happens when you when you change these variables so so it's an observation and an interrogation of the natural world and by definition a lot of people who you know believe in religion believe that there is a, another realm like a supernatural realm mm-hmm. by definition science couldn't touch that because it you can't investigate things that don't happen within the physical world um with science. Right, it's out of bounds. Exactly. Like my approach to that is to go like, well, yeah, because it doesn't exist. (laughs) But plenty of people can keep those things really, really separate. It's when it starts to creep into the physical world. It's when people start to literally believe that things that are that can't physically happen happen because some books told them that they happened when I start to really take issue. It's when people start to like question the laws of physics or they say, oh, there was a flood, like things that where there's no evidence to support it. Like, no, 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 these are stories. That's all they are. They're stories. But if you can take those stories and apply them to some sort of like moral value system in your life and still fully appreciate the laws of uh, physics and the fundamental, you know, kind of power and and um or i should say descriptive power of the scientific method like good good on you
2: so i guess it's like just don't let it you know become this whole science denial thing and this oh, whole yeah. like Oof. get get into get into politics get into like you know talking about rights of people based on religion like keep like keep it all separate and yeah, and i think we're so we all, not good at that and we're really <laughs> we're really really not good at that um,
1: not no, at all. And, that's,
2: and, and that's kind of where we are right now, and that's yeah. a bit of a problem.
1: Well, um, you know, we've been there for a long time. It's yeah. not like this is new, yeah. but definitely, yeah. you know, there are arguments about whether or not our founding fathers were religious. Many of them were not. Many of them were deists, right. meaning that they may have believed in God, but, like, in a general sense, um, not, like, in a sort of religious sense and definitely not, like, in a Christian sense. But um, there have been times in our history, like – when religiosity was not nearly as powerful in the political realm. Like, I even think back to the Scopes trial, which was not that long ago, and it was kind of like a joke to a lot of people. You know, the Scopes trial was sort of a way to question – our understanding of evolution and what what really it's really more of a rights issue right like what can and can't we say in a classroom and and where does that line fall with the kind of first amendment and not sort of um uh preferentially treating any religion but at the time that the scope's trial was happening like we we try to think about it in like modern context but there weren't as many like cuckoo bananas people who literally thought that the earth was 6,000 years old like back then. And they definitely didn't have all the political clout that a lot of these people have now. So it was sort of like scoffed at by most of the country when it was happening. It brought up a lot of important questions and it really wasn't important. Well, it wasn't even really an important precedent because it didn't go the way that it should have. But it was a totally different sort of enlightenment climate at the time and now we live in a place where well i mean obviously this is what everybody's talking about right now is like what is truth you know this post-truth fake news society where our president-elect blatantly denies you know nature not just science but nature like just think, like reality
0: and i'll tell you what we we are doing better and better every week we made it 27 and a half minutes. On the record tonight. Before you talked about it. Before truck. we mentioned yeah. I am so proud of us. I didn't say us. his name. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I didn't even.
1: <laughs> but the. Um,
2: no, yes, I know. That, it's tough. Like that's, that's what the cards that we've been dealt right now. And so I guess it's like, the, you know, one of the questions at this point, And this is um, this was a question somebody put on Dan's uh, Facebook pages. Like, how do we deal with science denial? Really, at this point like what what is the best way to handle the fact that the people are are essentially denying scientific fact
1: i mean it's tough like i think a lot of the problem comes down to mm-hmm. fundamental education right i think mm-hmm. Education solves a lot of these issues. It's also a lot of issues about parity, about women's rights, about uh, minority rights, um, you know, just civil rights in general. And um, education um, is, is, I think, a big undercurrent of this sort of fake news post-truth society. The problem with having an answer like, well, we need to see better educational measures is that it's not a quick fix like it like it needs to be overhauled like we need to make sure that all kids have access to you know learning how to think and right now our society just doesn't really value that you can tell by how we pay our teachers you can tell by how school districts are run you can tell by how impoverished areas you know have way less um resources available to them versus richer areas um you know i think that in in one respect, there's a community of individuals who really get this, and they're trying as hard as they possibly can. And in another respect, there's sort of a community of individuals who either, like, because of, I don't know, basic neglect, aren't prioritizing it the way that they should, or because of outright denialism, truly think that... It's, like, sort of pedantic or erudite or, like, somehow, like, elite and liberal to want to be educated and that, that somehow an, an assault to their sort of freedoms as an American. And that's – I'm more worried about that. I mean, I'm still worried about the neglect. Mm-hmm. I'm worried about the fact that we don't put money in education knowing that it has – that it actually has, like, one of the biggest returns on investment we can possibly make. Um because we're just not forward thinking enough, like our lives are in four year or actually two year cycles. Um, or I guess you could say four year cycles. Most people are more aware of the presidential, the general election than the, than the midterms. But we just think in terms of like, what can happen during this candidacy? What can happen during, you know, this term? And it's, it's really hard for individuals to think long term and say, oh, I want to maintain a legacy of somebody that I didn't even set, which is a bummer.
0: I think part part of that is also just whenever you look at a budget, you look at the budget for that year. So if you're gonna replace something that's that's failing or you can just manage and and upkeep it and, and repair it and the repairs are gonna be cheaper per year but cost more, you know, over the next ten years than just replacing it. So I think part of that is also just making that investment and, and getting to to the point where we we want to invest like that and I mean, how do do I guess how do we go about that? Like, how do do we advocate for that more effectively than than we have already to try to get funding dumped into STEM?
1: Keep doing what you're doing, you know, for individuals who are pro-science, who are science communicators. just keep doing what you're doing in the hopes that more and more people are going to hear the message and make sure you keep going back to that core message of it's about critical thinking. It's about problem solving, and it's about being a, a good, solid skeptic and sort of rebranding what it means to be a scientific thinker and a skeptic into something that we're proud of, um, and and just you know keeping on hammering out that message because you have to say it so many times before certain people get it, and for the people who. Don't get it, I mean, that becomes difficult. Where's the political will? It's very hard to have lobbies for things that don't seem like they make a big return. That's why I don't think that we can be a pure capitalist society. I think that we have to have some socialistic, um, uh, you know, services within our, and we do. Like, education is already a socialistic service, it's free, Mm -hmm. public school is free. Just like the fire department is free, you know? I mean, you pay taxes and it contributes to it. But in the grand scheme of things, it's like the way that – it's not like, oh, I want to – I want to know how to read. I have to pay to be able to know how to read. It's actually the opposite. Like, it's against the law for you not to go to school if you're under a certain age. Um, because at some point in time, some individuals who were involved in the legislature got why that was important. And let's not be so glib as to say that, like, a lot of people don't get it anymore, because I think a lot of people still do get it. But there's there's something that happens, I think, Um, like it's like this weird sort of forced complacency. And I see it a lot with the anti vaxxers, especially where I live here in LA, where and you guys are West Coast too, also, right? No, no? we're
2: we're um I'm in, Maryland, oh, you're in uh, Maryland. Right outside of DC. Oh, so you G's, were just
1: yeah. saying West Coast time like to make it easier on me when we were emailing back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate yeah. that. And and where are you? Indiana. Indiana. Okay, cool. So you're like Midwestern and then we've got like pretty close to DC. So yeah. um when you see these pockets of like anti vaxxers, which you see in the Midwest too, but like it's really heavy here on the West Coast with all the like woo-woo. Um yeah, mm-hmm. a- yeah anti kind of traditional medicine. All that stuff. Yeah, all that good <laughs> all stuff. The, all the think, woo, all the yeah. I, I think that it's like it's honestly, how can I word this appropriately? It's like a privilege to be able to be anti-vax because it means it that yeah that you lived in a culture where medicine and science did such a good job that you didn't have to deal with horrific childhood diseases and so you forgot why vaccines matter.
2: Well, and it's it's interesting because I had um I had I have two uh young kids and I had a conversation with um my pediatrician when when I took one of my kids just for a checkup and we were talking about um Just, yeah, like anti-vaxxers and all that kind of stuff. And she said the only people that she's had problems with, like, kind of convincing or, you know, ultimately refusing sometimes um, vaccines were people of... Higher education and privilege.
1: Yeah. And and usually younger too, younger moms. Yes. And it's and so it's because they so never saw it. They never yes. ha- they had never had somebody in their life with polio. They never had a kid who was so sick with measles or mumps or, you know, pertussis or something that made them fear for the life of their child. It's 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 sort of a privilege to not have to think about vaccines. And I think it we have that same sort of complacency, just uh nationwide with regards to our educational system like we've always been a literate nation we've always sort of had basic standards of educational proficiency and so I think we just assume that everybody has a level playing field and we just kind of assume that this is how it is you know and ultimately it could be so much better and I think now we're starting to see the sort of outcomes of this complacency (laughs) really rearing their head in a public way. And that's not to say that this sort of post-truth mentality has not existed for decades. It's just become so much more blatant within the last year or so. It's like, used to be that you could play politics with it, and you could figure out different euphemisms for saying that you're a climate denier, or different euphemisms for trying to, like, please all the constituency by never really committing to a pro-science stance. But now there's, like, blatant overt. oh yeah, I believe the earth is flat. What's it to you? I'm not a scientist. And it's like,
0: (laughs) there's a lot of of euphemisms (laughs) that went away and so now we're just saying things that Nazis say too so it's, you know
1: no, it's it's pretty crazy like without any sort of um decorum about you know it's almost like well you would expect that you would at least try to play politics and hide <laughs> like, it at least little. pretend Just like um, give me a show here and so in a way it it is kind of an easier thing to deal with because at least it's like it's overt and you know exactly <laughs> what you're up against but in a way it's even more i think depressing for those of us who work in the science communication field because it's not the People who are out there, you know, being climate deniers or the people who are like out there with an agenda, like a pro-oil agenda or whatever the case may be. Um, it's the people who can't see past the rhetoric. Those are the – that's what I'm so worried about. Like there's always going to be a boogeyman. There's always going to be somebody where like, mm-hmm. you know, morality is like – clear as day like it's it's not even an ethics question you know you you come up sometimes you come up with these ethical quandaries where you're like oh you know a bus is dry like do you hit the one car with the elderly person or the car with like three kids you know there's always like these different (laughs) um ethics but then there's like the really obvious choices and then there's always going to be somebody who's like yeah well i wouldn't do that because i'm a dick and you're like okay um well, I'm just not going to follow your dickish nature. What's worrisome is when they're really good at selling the immoral option and you start to see individuals who don't have the basic education or the basic critical thinking skills to see through the through their immoral stance to see what their, the agenda is behind it. And I think that's what worries me the most about our president-elect is that his agenda has always been a narcissistic one. It's always been about you know, having a legacy and making money. It's never been about anything but him. And he doesn't hide it. It's so obvious, yet so many people can't see it. And that makes me really nervous. And it makes me worried about kind of the state of skeptical thinking in our country.
2: Well, and that's the thing. It's that people, you know, if they're not thinking critically about one thing, they're probably not thinking critically about another and can be easily swayed. And so whether yeah. it's things like what led people to vote for Trump or, um, or things that lead people to choose alternative medicine or to choose no medicine at all. Like we had a friend mm-hmm. ask about, you know, kind of the anti-psychiatry type of movement that creeps up in, in memes and people like Kelly Brogan or whatever her name is saying, you know, like holistic <laughs> psychiatry and like all, all of these things oh, that – That aren't based (laughs) in science and fact, right? Or the Church of Scientology. Like people, if they aren't thinking critically, can buy into some really dangerous stuff.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's the crux of it, right? It's not about like, what is your policy statement? What is your agenda? What do you believe? Or like, what can you regurgitate back to me? It's about how do you think and how do you come to the belief system that you come to? And what's your reasoning behind it? You know, it's it's the old adage. Like, all of this exists in the popular culture and people know it. It's a religious adage. Like, well, maybe it's not. But like, you know, give a man a fish and he'll eat for a day, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for his lifetime. It's the same thing. It's this idea that if you have the basic skills to understand, you know, um, bias, to understand some core psychological uh, features of what it means to be human and how we think, and then you understand how people will try to take advantage of that to try and push their agenda, whether it's, you know, through fake news or being a con artist or, you know, trying to get money out of you, whatever the case may be, if you have the core ability to think and to problem solve, it doesn't matter if we're talking about vaccines or climate change or pyramid schemes or Bigfoot or anything else because you apply that same set of skills to everything you experience in your life. And then you get to – that's why like in the skeptical movement, a lot of times you'll notice that we'll focus on blind spots. We'll focus on sacred cows and things where even, you know – um, thinking, intelligent, and skeptical people still fall into traps because that when you can start doing that higher level processing and saying, you know, wh- where are our shortcomings and where does evolution get in the way of us being able to see clearly or, or whatever, um, it's, it's really helpful. But we're talking about basic abilities to, yeah. to you know, and, and we see study after study that show that it's bleak. You know, there's this recent big kind of um, study that happened across, I can't remember if it was across the country or across the globe, it was like a Stanford study looking at kids, like digital natives, kids who grew up with the internet, ability to root out fake news or to find good sources online. And they did it like at the elementary school level, the middle school level, the high school level, or maybe, no, I think it was middle school, high school, and college. And so obviously they had like different, varying degrees of difficulty and it was just like across the board abysmal like most kids couldn't tell the difference between a promoted article like a branded article and like real reporting most people never would read past a headline if they did read past a headline they would never look at what the source material was even if they looked at the source material they couldn't make good judgments about whether or not that means that the um the information might have been biased it was just really bleak we're just not teaching kids the the skills that they need to navigate the climate that we live in now where media is really a free-for-all. We, I mean, it was one thing when there was like a paper, your local paper, or like two news stations, and those people were hired to be sort of um, curators of – what was important to hear and they were hired because of their ability to ensure that they did their due diligence and to ensure that they were speaking truth as best as they could. It's not like that anymore. And yet we are not armed with the skills to be able to um determine the difference between good journalism and blatant lies. Well that's well, the it's, thing I mean, it's, it's like it's, it's- Go ahead.
0: Oh well, that's the thing. Is because all the major publications are lying to us.
1: <laughs> that's I wouldn't say that. That's true. <laughs> I don't well, that's think what, that. I all... mean, that's what our
0: that's what our President Alex says. So well,
1: yes, exactly, and that's what a lot of people are led to believe. And then it'll be like, oh no, but my bubble publication, you know, my echo mm. chamber publication, that's the one that's really true. And there's good reason to believe that, right? Because when you lose faith when um when you are lied to or when something is misreported or there's a really big problem with how the news is reported, and you start to see bias, which is heavily like heavy especially in tv news um somewhat in in print news but definitely in tv news and then you start to go well why should i trust these reporters these other people they seem to be the counterculture to what the mainstream is and the counterculture seems to be telling me what's actually true and it's tough because there are both liberal and conservative sort of underground papers or counterculture style papers, um, or digital sites that are sort of like, no, but we're gonna cut through the BS and we're gonna tell you to you like it like it is, the way that corporate media can't. And it's very hard for a lot of people to tell the difference between a well studied and a well reported piece of news and um a biased article that's meant to, that that's agenda driven, that's meant to have an outcome in the way you think.
0: I taught for a few years before I started doing what I do now. Mm-hmm. What I noticed is everything is focused to whatever standardized test that they have. And, and even I can tell even in, in my, my oldest is in first grade, even in, in his class, like there's no, he, he doesn't really have like a science, like block, like blocked out, like during the day, which, which i a little upset about and have had conversations about, but they, it's it's because, it's because they're looking at the stand and what standards do we need to cover, you know, in, in math and in reading, because they're going to have to take this test. And then if they don't get the test, then, you know, then we're going to get in trouble. We're going to get put on probation by the state and things like that. So I think that's, that that they've kind of triaged their own like just just to survive like the schools themselves to be able to survive on their own. I mean, almost have to go to that model to well, let's just let's just get as many people above you know whatever is passing. And I, I think that's I think that's what at least a factor at least in what's happening with the, the I guess the lack of teaching how to critically think in in schools.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it's important the point that you made because I, I think it shows a strong exercise in empathy that like it's it's coming from a good place. You know, it's it's mm-hmm. it's a broken system with a core intention that makes sense, right? No child left behind at its core really does make sense. <laughs> the idea that we don't want to just help those smart kids get smarter. Of course. We don't want to just say oh, you guys seem to already have aptitude, so I'm going to ignore the rest of you because because I I don't really care about pulling you out of poverty or I don't really care about pulling you out of your station in life. I'm much more interested in the kids that are already excelling and already exceeding. Um, Obviously, we don't want a system that does that. We want a system where every child has an opportunity to thrive. We know that we're not all coming from the same – we don't have a balanced playing field. Like every, mm-hmm. if you can't admit that, like you are so blind. Yeah. You mentioned it earlier
0: with, with like, uh, especially like low income areas. And that's such a matter of yeah. problem because. W- we, we not not only like the, those kids that are from low income, like they're, they're not even a lot of them aren't even worried about school. They're worried about, you know, is, you know, is my mom going to be home when I get 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 home today? Or, you know, I'm going to have to take care of my five, six, you know, siblings, cousins, whomever, uh you know, that are at home, you know, they have to, you know, they have like their own hats that they have to wear outside of school. So school's just you know it's just a thing that they have to go to so mom doesn't get called and and they don't get yelled at you know whenever mom or dad or whoever gets home so i mean there it's su- such like a multi-layer problem like that and so i think anytime i hear people complain about the schools like you know like i said earlier like the schools i feel like are, are doing the best that they can given the rules that that they've been given, given the and expectations the rules, that have been handed down.
1: And the rules are there for a reason. It's not the right mm-hmm. way to go about it. You know, it's a broken system. There are some people who are working really hard to try to fix it. I have no idea what the answer is. This is not my area <laughs> right. of expertise. Um, but it's it's a big, complicated problem, and it's it's and everything's expensive. related. Yeah, and it's made especially complicated by our governmental structure, right? Like We know it's complicated that there are 50 states who have their own individual jurisdictions within those states. There are counties and there are cities, and there are a lot of different ways that they can be cut up, and they have their own jurisdictions, but still... The counties have to abide by the state rules and the states have to abide by the federal rules. And, you know, well, this state is a much more conservative-leaning state, so they want to go about education a different way. Like, it's complicated. We know that it's complicated. But we also know that when something's not working, we're really bad, like you said, about sort of trying to quick fix. We're not good at overhauling the system. And not just that. We're really bad about thinking about the future. Like, it's just not a priority of ours. Like we're well, just and, never focused on that,
2: and the whole and really, I mean, the problem does go back to like that we're we're in this place where we are because people don't necessarily know how to how to. This is gonna sound kind of mean, but people don't don't know how to think or learn or know yeah. how to like step outside their own biases, um, and so that's where education needs to target itself, um, teaching children how to learn. And how to yeah. ask questions, and how to fi- and how to find the answers in a way that's backed by by fact and evidence. Um, so it's not as much like how to you know fill in the right answer bubbles on the test, but how to be able to go out into the world. And be a person who can
1: think. And this isn't just the responsibility of the educational system. This is obviously a huge responsibility of individual families. Like if you have a child, you have committed now to caring for this child. And it's not just about feeding and clothing it and keeping it sheltered. It's about ensuring that your child has every opportunity or more opportunity than you ever had. And it's a daily struggle. And like, this is coming from, I do not have kids. You have kids. I don't have kids. Like, I don't want that responsibility. And so I've made the choice not to take that responsibility on. Good um on But it's definitely, <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I just, there's a lot of reasons why I don't want kids, but but um I respect so much my friends who have children and who really dedicate their lives to them because they, they do, they, they take your entire life. Like, You are no longer the center of your universe when you have a kid. You no longer prioritize yourself. And to see the way that my friends really, especially my science communicator friends, like really work to ensure that their children are excited by knowledge and that they capture their imaginations and that they build up core problem-solving abilities with them and that they start them reading very, very young, just the types of things that are prioritized by individuals who are pro knowledge and by individuals who, um, who sort of take it as a point of pride that education and thinking is the is like one of the most important things in their lives. They pass that on to their kids in a totally different way than individuals who don't, and that's not. That's not knocking individuals who don't and saying like, oh, well, you're a bad kid parent and you're the reason that, you know, this post-truth thing is happening. It's more that there's like a systemic failure where our culture just hasn't been able to capably support everybody in such a way that they can flourish and, and, and think about education. There's – many people are so focused on core basic needs that we're just not to that place where – um, where thoughtfulness is is fully promoted. And that's quite sad. I mean, I hope that we get there. It just sometimes worries me when it doesn't even seem like we have a goal-oriented behavior in that direction.
2: Yeah. And I guess really it's just at, like all of us kind of doing, you know, just the little bits that, that we do to try to get the message of critical thinking and being, I, I like you saying just pro-knowledge because don't mm. we want to be that as a society? I mean, just getting those messages out as much as possible, but but understanding that there are so many different elements at play here yeah. where it just is made so difficult for some people to be able to put that as a priority. And so there's a lot that needs to be done on so many levels, which seems like such a monumental um, task
1: in itself. Um, it does. But you know what? If you think about it, like, you know, you think of all of the people that there are on Earth. It's like, just do your part. You know, it's the same way, like, when people talk about overpopulation and they talk about children, right? Like... Okay, well, if everybody only had two kids or less, you would either be replacing or reducing. If you have more than two kids, then you're adding more people than your generation has. It's like a simple math issue. So it's it's sort of about where will be that tipping point, sort of like where's that herd immunity against ignorance, right? Like if more and more people do their part, and it doesn't mean dedicating your entire life to it. There's a handful of us that do dedicate our lives to it. And so hopefully we're kind of picking up the slack where the slack is. But the more people that just do their part to, you know, enlighten or inform their children or to maybe just even if they're not like on the offensive about it, be a little bit on the defensive about it, like when somebody does start to spew um, anti-science rhetoric or things that you know are overt lies you know, if you see something, say something like you're at the office and somebody starts talking about Pizzagate and they start saying that like the Clintons are involved in a sex scandal. And you can be like, no, that's fake news. Like that's already been established that that's fake news. Like only very specific sites are are promoting that kind of news. And it actually ended in tragedy for some individuals. So just little things like that where you kind of just don't allow for it. It's the same way that you can really change the culture of misogyny. It's like, don't Just because you might not be a sexual harasser, don't stand by if you see somebody else sexually harassing in the workplace. Like, make them understand that it's not an okay way to be in your presence. And I yes. think it, the more people that do that, it's, we did it pretty well with racism. Like racism exists, absolutely. But like it's pretty rare, at least in big cities, for somebody to be like overtly racist and use slurs out loud because it's not socially acceptable to do that. And it's because individuals said that they wouldn't stand for it. And and I think that – in,
0: in you're less – your, I, I, and I can speak for this just living in – Different parts of Indiana, and more some Mm. more rural than others. I live at. Fortunately, I I live in like a somewhat liberal city in in Indianapolis now. But you go, you go an hour south, and you have people that have never left. You know their tiny little county, their tiny little town, and so they're so isolated from anything that's different. So, and of course, anybody that's different is weird. And and just not having those life experiences like that just kind of perpetuate that that type of mindset.
1: They do. But luckily, we're really connected now globally. So even if you haven't left or you don't have the means to leave, you can access other cultures just by going on your computer and by turning on the TV. And that's why there's more and more of a push to make sure that, you know, programming passes the Bechdel test and that programming features individuals of various ethnic backgrounds and various gender identities. And, you know, all of these things are improving. Um, what it means to hold on, like you said, to these sort of antiquated views because you're in a place where you don't have access to other people. But like I can even – I grew up in in Texas in the suburbs and I can even attest to the fact that like things don't catch on as quickly there, right? Like nobody in my school would like use the N-word overtly unless they were fighting. Like you would never just say that even when I was a kid because we were – Beyond that. Like we knew that wasn't okay. But there might be other ways that people would use slurs and they didn't even know it was a slur. Like when I was growing up, people called everything gay. You know what I mean? They'd yeah, be like, that's yeah. Oh, oh, on, yeah. yeah. You might have to edit that out because my dog just my boyfriend just it's came okay. home. But yeah, people would call everything gay, right? Like They would be like, oh, that's so gay. This is so gay. And they didn't even know that it was like a slur because they maybe didn't know anybody who was gay. Or even though they did know people were gay, they didn't know that it offended them when they said it. And so it took – Individual saying, that's not okay. It's not okay to use this term, this kind of adjective as a negative term um, or like don't say that. So retarded, like it offends people. And until you see people saying, no, but I I do suffer from mental retardation or I am, you know, an out loud and proud like homosexual man and I don't think you should be using gay as an insult like when you have people standing up and you get more kind of access to that it starts to change the cultural ideas around it and I think we at at least we're well on our way with regard to that because the voice of people is very strong and it's more connected than it's ever been what freaks me out is that so many people are in um positions of political power who overtly reject that kind of thinking. It's like progress is somehow um, negative to them.
2: Yeah. And that's why I think like as many of these conversations as can be had right now, like just putting it out there that everybody who is of a, you know, rational mindset needs to advocate for that and kind of stand up for, for those beliefs. um, And Just worldview, I think, is just so important in this climate that we're in. And so, you know, what, you know, like just any little part that people can play in that is really important in creating just a better, better culture around, around reason and logic and critical thinking
1: exactly um, like we can't flip a switch it's just not gonna no. happen but at the same time we can't get so overwhelmed that we get cynical or that we lose hope you know when people say oh god what are we gonna do now like with this new election i mean what if the parks you know the national park service shuts down what if the epa gets to like oh god and, and oh we've got this person who's a climate tonight everything's gonna go to hell in a handbasket and it's like you know what The truth of the matter is, in the grand scheme of things, our goal is still the same. Nothing has really changed other than the urgency behind the message that we're sending. Like, we just have to stay the course. I think that's the most important thing to remember because, you know, it's – yeah, there's going to be a different person in office. It may be worse than the Bush years, but we all survived the Bush years. Well, we didn't all survive, unfortunately, but most of us survived the Bush (laughs) years and and a lot of, you know – Uh, A lot of things were set back and there were a lot of hurdles. There are going to be a lot of hurdles and we're going to have some major setbacks. But our ultimate goal and our ultimate mission as individuals who are pro science and who are, like we said, pro knowledge, that hasn't changed. So like we've got to stay the course. The last thing we want to do is give up hope because then what about the people who like look to us to maintain that hope? Exactly. But I will I will say well, one good
0: thing about the Bush years was we got more brush cleared in rural Texas, I think, than any other president has ever done. So that I think that's a very positive thing we can look at from a uh,
1: more brush cleared in rural. Texas. Yeah. Oh, oh, he
0: took he took like over, well over 500 days of vacation. Yeah, he uh, he took his he, he took he enjoyed his vacations.
1: I see. I see what you're saying. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> well,
2: I So we wow, we have been talking for like almost an hour now. So I yeah. want I want to kind of end with just a few kind of random ish questions that some sure. of our friends and listeners just are curious about. So yeah. um, one, um, Michael asked, what's the most embarrassing song on your phone?
1: Ooh, I, I actually, I could answer this within two seconds, but I am going to check. Only because I was driving today and it popped up oh. and I was like, why is this album on here? I need to get it off my phone. I have, um I have, let me see if it actually, yeah, I have a uh Black Eyed Peas album on my phone. <laughs> and because... Because I have the full album, that horrible song, My Humps, sometimes comes oh, on. Right, so. And I'm like, why do I have that? It's like I downloaded it once for like a girl's night or something. And then it yeah. just, And it's weird, too, because everything else is like punk rock and classical music and then yep. like the black eyed piece.
2: And then you've got My Humps.
1: Yeah. and then So, my humps. all right.
2: Um, uh, Alex wants to know what your favorite breakfast cereal is.
1: Oh, um I I'm, I'm a pretty consistent. well, this is a hard question because like what's my favorite? Probably Lucky Charms or something yeah. that I don't eat all the time because it's terrible for me. But like what do I consistently eat for cereal? Um I really love cinnamon checks. Oh, like those, those are have, good. Yeah. I I always have a box of cinnamon checks and a box of um multigrain Cheerios because mm. both of those I feel like taste really good but I don't feel as guilty eating them. As, yeah, it's not like it's not like Lucky Charms or Fruity Pebbles. Yeah, it's not kid cereal, right? Yeah, I mean, Cinema yeah, might be kid cereal,
0: but it's. Really are, good. are we discriminating against Fruity Pebbles?
1: Yeah, it's no, no, you I'm just eat I'm that just every saying. day. Like, right? In a like, different so much sugar. <laughs> a different um, <laughs> I did have a donut the other day from Voodoo Donuts while I was in Austin because they're down there now for some reason, which is awesome. Yeah. And it had, um, oh, it didn't have Fruity Pebbles on it. It had uh, Crunch, like Captain Crunch with Crunchberries, which I oh. love, but it tears up the roof of your mouth. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. those two. <laughs> yeah, you do. Would, would. Yeah. So, um, so
2: Jeff wants to know, um, who did your tattoos?
1: Uh, I have a – so I have a bunch of different tattoos. So when I was in Texas, I went to – my first tattoo artist was named Eric Inklin, and he did, like, a skull and crossbones, and he did a back tattoo, and he did a star on my foot. Um, And it was weird. It was, like, when I was ve- very young, like, just 18 or maybe even – yeah, I probably just turned 18, and I – worked at, um, <laughs> at hot topic at the time and I actually <laughs> I introduced him to my boss and they ended up getting married um oh. Eric Inklin and and Jenny I think they're they're since divorced but they and I went to their wedding and it was a super crazy like cool rockabilly wedding with with a bunch of classic cars like very oh, that awesome. vibe you know um, <laughs> yeah. and then uh and then I had a tattoo artist named Jay who is best friends with one of my ex-boyfriends who is a piercist, and he did my um my Texas tattoo, and my Archaeopteryx tattoo. And then when I m- moved to Los Angeles, I got a new artist, and her name is Kim Sai. She's actually um, – I think she was on a couple or maybe one season of L.A. Inc. She ended up leaving. She didn't really like the reality TV vibe, but she's really – really talented and super cool and the first time i'd ever been tattooed by a woman and if i go you know if i want to get another tattoo i think she'll be the one i always go to um she did a quote on my ribs a carl sagan quote that says we are a way for the cosmos to know itself and i know this is probably not going to air today but it is the um see well i don't know if it's a good way to put it the anniversary anniversary of his his death death. yeah Yeah. which i don't know yeah actually we have
2: yeah, we have an episode that's going to air um, tomorrow, and we do a quote of the week every episode. So I picked a Sagan mm-hmm. quote for oh, for good, this yeah, week yeah, because so you obviously know, we, ha- we have to honor honor that, right? Absolutely, um, yeah. yeah. Um, Okay, so just a couple more. Uh My friend James Gurney, who um, is one of the co-hosts of the League of Nerds podcast, his question is: Will you appear on the League of Nerds podcast?
1: Absolutely, yeah. Just reach out. I love going. I on, would because. My podcast is kind of small. Like Skeptic's Guide is bananas, right? Like Skeptic's Guide gets so many listeners and it's super popular. It's like – if not the number one, the number two science podcast, only because of star Talk, come on, Neil, but um <laughs> it's been around for eleven years, and like yeah. I did not build that beast at all. I just came on last year um mm-hmm. I, lo- I love my skeptics dad family for sure, but like I was not involved in building that. My podcast is quite humble, like talk nerdy has a you know it's got an okay following, but it's not a big podcast by any stretch, and so it's fun for me to go on other science and skepticism and nerd and critical thinking and atheist podcasts because we can all meet each other. Like, I feel like my listeners may not have heard of theirs and their listeners may not have heard of mine. And so it gets to open up sort of new thoughts and ideas. So I'm always excited to go on podcasts, especially podcasts where I feel like um, the people who listen to it are sort of in sync with the people who listen to mine.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And like, I kind of joke with these guys too sometimes. Like, we all just kind of have have podcasts to give us excuses to talk to each other too. And like, you know, just... Just yeah. reach this whole cool audience of of people who are like-minded oh, sure. every or interested single, in this world. Yeah. And like every last, single one of my
1: friends has been yeah. on my podcast. Yeah. it's fun. It's <laughs>
2: fun. And last question from some guy named um Bob Novella. Um, who's the coolest guy <laughs> on, on Skeptic's Guide to the Universe?
1: Oh, well, um, I mean there's this guy named Bob Novella on Skeptics <laughs> yeah, Guide Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. He's Even a pretty, pretty cool he guy? Loves peanut butter. And I hate <laughs> peanut butter. I think he's still pretty cool. So he's okay. <laughs> Well, yeah he's um,
2: okay. <laughs> he's all right. Well, thank you so much for like doing this with us um uh, tonight yeah, and uh, if if people want to find you on the internet or anywhere, where can they find you?
1: Yeah, I would say the best thing is if you go to my website, Karasantamaria.com, and I spell my name with a C in case if you're only hearing it, um, everything else is there. Like you can find my Twitter, which is at Maria, You can find my Facebook, which is uh, I think Facebook.com slash ScienceKara. You can find my Patreon, which is Patreon.com slash TalkNerdy. And of course, it links out to my Talk Nerdy podcast. New episodes are every Monday. And then the Skeptic's Guide to the Universe. And also, you know, all of the – like my day job kind of work all the tv shows and web series and things that i work on um you can find links to all of that there too
2: well thank you so much and we hope to talk to you again of
1: course it was so much fun you guys
0: this week the reason we love the internet I don't know. I don't know. If this is. <laughs> I don't, is, I don't is, know.
2: It's, it's just. It, let's kinda, call it the internet segment.
0: The, it, yeah, because it's that's saying that's the internet. Yeah, we're fitting a square peg into a round hole here. So what we are recording this on Tuesday, the day before it airs, and I guess was it yesterday or I don't know. My days. I've I've gotten like I, six hours of sleep. I want to say. I
2: want to say yesterday. I want to say yesterday yeah, is when. Yeah,
0: you. maybe you, Sunday let's night and uh, a Monday. Say it. I, you know, as I do from time to time, posted something that was maybe a little critical of Islam. Maybe a
2: little bit, tiny. Maybe tiny just bit. a little bit, just a tiny bit. But how dare you? And how dare you do
1: that?
0: Right, exactly. And so I think the original meme I posted was something regarding it was it was it was a man uh, that was looked frustrated, uh, looks uh, like. Looking down into his lap, hands on his head, all frustrated. And it says, When you find out your wife has the right to vote on Facebook polls, because <laughs> as you know, mo- many Muslim majority countries, you cannot vote if you're a woman. You can't do a lot of things yeah. if you're a woman. And of course, people lost their goddamn minds, which is predictable. Uh, so we on doubled down. And then. Yeah. Yeah, I double downed later that day, and then triple downed, and then quadruple downed, and then I think quintuple downed. I think there was five total posts.
2: You went hard. You did. You went. <laughs> yeah, you were like, I'm, little, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go little for little it. Little. I'm just gonna, yeah, just, just. Yeah,
0: and, it and it's out, not yeah. the the goal of that is not to upset people because of course like not, nothing that I post. Uh, That's critical of religion, is critical of the followers directly, necessarily. It's critical of the ideology, because as we know, ideas are not people. And what we're trying to get across and what what we're trying to convey and what I felt like I did a decent job in the comments for the people that actually read it was that ideas aren't people and this is attacking an idea. But of course, nobody reads that and nobody cares to understand about what's going on. They just immediately cry Islamophobia, which is one of the dumbest fucking words ever created. Uh, it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. It is redundant, and it doesn't even come close to addressing the actual underlying issue of what's going on with people who all, who have an irrational fear. It's not because they fear Islam, they fear people that are from countries that they would not be able to point at on a map. And so today, of course, you know, I, you're always getting like sh- shitty emails and things like that. But today I got something weird happens and I from time to time would get messages from people saying thank you and, and such. But I got... Probably at least a dozen messages from people who either are Muslims living in Muslim majority countries or former Muslims, or even quite a few former or ex Muslims that are still living in their home country where they can't be out about it. And one of them kind of hit me, and actually, a a subsequent uh, posting that I got another one that I'll, I'll try to read here too. Uh, but the, the one post, uh, the original post was, thank you for the post on Islam. I'm an ex-Muslim living in a Muslim country. The fact that I can't comment on your post in case a fellow countryman sees it says enough about the religion. And so I posted that, of course, uh, no name uh, attached to that for obvious reasons. And subsequent to that, I had another, uh, individual message me, um, and the story is just absolutely crazy. And of course, uh, you know, I don't know if this person actually knew that the person or not, but, uh, the story, uh, actually happened and I'm just going to kind of read, uh, what he wrote here and I'm going to apologize. I'm going to butcher the name. Uh, but he said that on April 25th of last year, uh, his friend, uh, Zarhas Manan, I think, uh, was a leading LGBT activist in Bangladesh, along with uh, another individual named let's <laughs> See, this is why I should have practiced more. Rabbi Tonoy, I and I again, I sincerely apologize if I mispronounce those. Uh, but he says this is uh, uh, the person who messaged me in his words. Uh, They were hacked to death with machetes in his apartment in front of his mother just because they were LGBT activists and published the first LGBT magazine in the country. And the same thing happened to uh, 40-plus atheist bloggers and religious minorities in the last five years. And the non-Muslim population has gone down from 40 to just 8% since independence. And I'm not going to—I guess that kind of gives away, but I'm not going to name the country— Uh, but he says their place of worship get attacked every year and he just has to kind of sit and watch these things happen and he can't say anything about it very strongly or nearly as strongly as what I'm able to do and what others are able to do in countries where literally the worst thing is going to happen. I'm going to have some dipshit take a screenshot and bitch about me in some group somewhere, and I can handle that. Uh, But the reason I think it's important to talk about these things, the reason it's important to criticize these things, just like the uh, original message that I posted said, is the fact that they can't even comment on things like that. They can't even be open about what they think. They can't ask simple questions or challenge the religion at all without fearing for their lives, you know, their friends, their family's lives. That is why it's important to bring attention to that important to talk about that and stop saying any criticism of Islam is Islamophobia. That is the dumbest fucking response you can possibly have. You have to look at people's intent behind their words whenever they are criticizing anything. And like I explained, you can have somebody who is the biggest bigot, the biggest racist, xenophobe, whatever, say similar things criticizing Islam, but it's coming from a different place, and that makes all the fucking difference. So if you call me an Islamophobe, a racist, or anything like that, go fuck yourself.
2: Here, here. I mean, I've I've nothing to add to that because what you said was actually pretty perfect. So. Yeah. Thank you. And on that, thank you. And
0: on that note, thank you for joining us for this week's episode. If you enjoyed listening, please check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash TSE podcast to get access to premium content such as extended uncut interviews, early access, and other fun nuggets of goodness. Uh, We know that not everybody can help us out like that, but for those of you that can, thanks for buying us a beer or two or eight. Just like James, Alice, all four Michaels, Chris, Sarah, Janet, Amanda, Astrid, Andrew, Jeff, and Trevor have done. Also, uh, you can, you know, c- contact us at com. Leave us a five-star rating that kind of boosts us up to get more eyeballs or ear holes on our content, which is also nice. And like tell your friends about us because, I mean, we're decent people, right?
2: Yes. Kind of? Yes, maybe, I think so.
0: Sometimes? most of the time so,
2: at least sometimes, at least
0: <laughs> <laughs> you follow my page science of these is natalie uh, skeptical parenting also kara she was absolutely phenomenal uh on her website karisandamaria.com and natalie here is with a quote
2: anti-intellectualism has been a constant thread winding its way through our political and cultural life nurtured by the false notion that democracy means that my ignorance is just as good as your knowledge, and that's Isaac Asimov. And um, yeah, inauguration's on Friday, <laughs> so so there's that. Mm. Um, yeah, I'll leave that there. See,
0: and I have I have my kids this weekend, so like I can have like a couple drinks Friday night, but like I can't get mm. like I believe the kids say turnt. Is that the am I using the right term? I'm I'm really trying do, to Do you do I'm that? Do to relate you, to younger demographic. You,
2: okay. You get do you get turned with your squad?
0: Well, we're well. It, my my question earlier was not regarding what a squad i know i understand what it's squ- what squad goals what are squad if, goals what are oh, your squads oh, goals Like, so, what are you what are you doing as a group of friends that you have to like you have to like have like a fucking like committee meeting and, and yeah, talk think, about like what you're going to do that night is there a whenever leader? You're, all you're doing is going out to a bar you like getting drunk and like going woo.
2: No, like, all over oh, the place. no 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 i think i i think i just i figured it out it's like 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 squad goals, I think is when there's a group of people that you think are really cool and you want to emulate them. Is that what squad goals is?
0: I don't fucking know because I don't 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 have meetings with my group of friends to decide what we want to go out and achieve because (laughs) we just go, hey, you want to go to Scotty's? You want to go to uh, wherever the hell ever? And I go,
2: yeah, okay, we'll do that. yeah, and I'm just like, do you like, want to watch or a is movie? That the goal? Like, that's my squad goals <laughs> is to like is watch. That the goal. Them. Yeah, I think yeah. that I, man, Everybody has different goals. Okay, so next week um, we have somebody great that we did an interview with already. Breaking, breaking the mystery again. James Fell will be here. Um, or has been here, or I don't. I don't know how time and space Kane, work in podcast Wentz world.
0: And well, yeah, I mean they he don't a, know. We could do no. You will be talking to James Fell next week. Next they don't week. know any better.
2: Yeah. Oh, and he, and you know, that's how, that's I have how you to get more it.
0: listeners, right? You insult them.
2: Me, I, I think we're doing <laughs> it wrong. We're doing it wrong. But but now James Fell said something after we finished recording that I kind of wish that we got on the recording. He said that we have sexy voices. And that I wish that we had, he did, he did. I mean, and that's the only other thing. Somebody once told me I had a not annoying voice. Like that was the quote, not annoying. But James Fell has said that we have sexy voices, so everyone needs to come back and listen to James Fell and our sexy voices. That's how you sell it, I think. I don't know, is it?
0: I talked like this the whole time. This is the Science Enthusiast Podcast. (laughs)
2: Oh my God, please, You know what? Next time we do I an think- interview, please, please use that voice the entire time. And, and have it be with someone that you don't know at all. And so somebody, thinks <laughs> you're a complete yeah. fucking weirdo. <laughs> like, why is he talking like he's a phone sex well, if operator?
0: We, yeah. If we, I mean, if we ever do decide to pull the trigger and try to get someone like Ray Comfort on the show, that'll be, hello, Ray. This is the Science Enthusiast Podcast. I'd like to talk to you <laughs> tonight about creationism and just how it is fucking stupid because it's so yeah,
2: nonsense. I, I want you to use i want you to use that voice with ray comfort one day there like there's our there's like our podcast operator,
0: half yeah. npr voice
2: yeah a, a little bit of both a little <laughs> bit of both for ray Why not both? because that is just that he's just so confused and and he yeah that that's it I think we I think we just found the hook for if if we ever talk to Ray Comfort because who doesn't want to talk to Ray Comfort I oh I just watched this YouTube video today I put it on my Facebook and it was like pretty much Ray Comfort talking about how bananas are well designed oh yeah
0: oh <laughs> that's he's why like, he's, he's, he's like, called Banana Man and he's
2: like unru- and he's like unwrapping it at, or whatever unpeeling oh, oh no that <laughs> was yeah banana. that was
0: a whole thing that yeah, that was a whole thing when it came out then oh he like, it's just
2: so, so it's so dick like and like. Just, yeah. it's just so and it just so. It just fits
0: right into your mouth and, <laughs> and goes right down your throat. And I, I promise I just, I'm not sitting at home constantly thinking about putting things into my mouth, but if I were, it would be bananas. Just, he didn't say that. No, but but
2: it that. but that's definitely what he was thinking. He was he thought long and hard about this banana.
0: Well, and I'm, then <laughs> long long enough.
2: Enough.
0: he he definitely. Uh, He's tried to play it off like a joke, uh, subsequent to that, like getting picked up by a bunch of atheist YouTubers and stuff. But yeah, there's no way he wasn't like trying to be serious, and it's just one of Like I'm just glad it. it exists.
2: I'm glad that, that that a video of that exists and I and I I hadn't seen it before and I
0: It is, I mean it is the atheist nightmare. After all.
2: It is. <laughs> oh, there's just there's so much gold out there that we have yet to explore and talk about. So oh that's why we do this week after week. But yes, we'll be back next week. So I do thank it. You I do for
0: it listening. for I was saying I do it for all the all the ladies that I get. So you have no idea you go, Yeah, I have a podcast and they're like Oh, do you? And then
2: they say, they say that. Oh, do you? Oh, do you?
0: you? (laughs) Tell me. I had somebody,
2: somebody on Twitter was like,
0: "Oh, tell me about your podcast." And I was like,
2: "I have a podcast."
0: I have a podcast, and we were just talking, and then like just unmatched me, like out of nowhere, like we were getting along like just fine, and then all of a sudden I'm like, "You just unmatched me." She's like,
2: "I listened to the podcast, (laughs)
0: right?" Like maybe like yeah, (laughs) found it or
2: Uh, fuck you, lady whoever you are.
0: The music you heard tonight was written and performed by Adam Johnson and was used with his permission. You can contact Adam at adamjohnsondc at gmail.com. This podcast is property of Not Narrow or Straight LLC, all rights reserved